welcome to Crossing Phase, the first podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. My name is Matt Hawkins. I'm a former policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Pinna joins me. He's a former director of government and international relations of the American Islamic Congress. This Crossing Phase podcast is a partnership between Roll Top Productions and Muslims for Muslims. John Pinna, Welcome to our first video edition of Crossing Phase. I know. I, I, I just I, I had to get the pictures up behind me so the wall wasn't blank. You know, that was I, I, one's held with a thumbtack, one's got tape, the other one's got a nail. Uh, you know, pulling out stuff from the different walls. But well, yeah, it's no, it's effort our, to try to make your background a little more interesting. I, my my apartment in D.C. I had the, this wonderful corner. It was right? the perfect corner, and I had I had my um, uh, all my stuff from Nuristan that the I had these wonderful, wonderful wood bowls from Nuristan that I brought back from Afghanistan. And I had this, these great pictures of you know, some kind of know, bizarre or something. It was really cool. So anytime anybody was talking to me, I'd have it. And then uh, I haven't done anything really super digital. And uh, so I was like, okay, let me, let me, let me hang up the, the pictures. So, so that's my deal, you know? So, um, and then we have, uh, it, you know, you're, you have a mysterious curtain behind you. I feel like anybody's going to pop out at any moment. You know, maybe do a little I, know, I, I, I have to close the curtains because at this time of day, the sun just kind of washes out my entire background or even me. So I, I draw the curtains. Otherwise, I, just I really am, prefer the natural light. I just imagine cornfields as far as the eye can see from your window. Right? The, the Tennessee. <laughs> it's not so much cornfields. It's kind of rolling green Tennessee okay. plains and trees or rolling hills. So, But we also have a guest today on our first video edition of Crossing Phase. Uh, his name is Senge Searing. Uh, he, he is the, the leader of Gilgit Baltistan Institute, which we'll hear more about briefly. Um, but uh, John, you invited Senge on as a subject matter expert to explain some, some things to us. Uh, why, what prompted you uh, to invite Senge on this week? So I was uh, uh, sort of blessed to work with Mustafa Akhul, uh, the author of, uh, uh, of, um, was blessed to work. Uh, are we going to edit this? Can we edit that? I don't know. <laughs> no editing. It's video. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> so I was blessed to work with, uh, Mustafa Akol, who's the, the author of, uh, Islamic Jesus, who on a campaign, online campaign about the Hagia Sophia. And, uh, we were advocating that it doesn't become a mosque. And so, the challenge was uh, we were talking about this issue and the Muslim community started hitting us on Kashmir. And I admittedly am not a subject matter on Kashmir. I know enough to be dangerous. I've uh, been around that region, but I can't speak to the issues. So I promised our listeners that we would have a subject matter on, on board. And, uh, and uh, Singe uh, is the president of the Institute for Gilgit Baltistan Studies, who is a a longstanding friend and colleague, and uh, I know he knows the issues, uh, and I felt compelled to have someone who is from the region speak about it first, and so that was why I I, uh, I, I called him on board, and that's how the the nexus of how we started this conversation. Welcome, Senge, to Crossing Face. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. You know, I just realized that this is the first video. Um, uh, webinar that uh, podcast that you're doing so I feel really special 
being the first guest. So thank you so much. No, it's our You're pleasure welcome. to have you. And yeah. you should also feel uh, honored and welcome because John decided to have an actual expert on instead of just winging it for himself, which he generally does here yeah. on the show. Yeah, who knows? You know, just most people don't know about cashmere, so I guess I could just <laughs> say whatever I want, right? So, um, but uh, and and I already made the full power. We're not going to edit this, so uh, right. you know, I already implemented the Turkish flaw, which you know that's. Uh, anytime there's ever right, a presentation here. and some, something I goes wrong. That, it, I mean, I have a lot of respect for John. He's a person of knowledge and, you know, he has hosted His Holiness Dalai Lama several times and mm-hmm. and other important uh, people from that region. And, you know, he has vast knowledge about different faiths. And, um, uh, you know, so I think uh, if, if he wants to speak on behalf of Kashmir or Gilgit, you know, I, I'll be OK with that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that nod. I, I, I'd be scared to do so at this point because you know, I'm sitting in, in really in the shadow of, of your knowledge, your experience, and, and really your homeland. Um, and so it's, it's um, a wonderfully vast place, uh, dreamy. Uh, if yeah. anyone Googles Kashmir and goes past the conflict components and just goes to the landscape, uh, it's it's... Shangri-La, is, can I say that? Uh, yes, it, yes, it, that's one of the words, yes. Yeah, which yeah. is, you know, paradise in the mountains, paradise yes. in the clouds. Um, but I, I think we it'd be nice to start off with, you know, a little bit of who you are and uh, why this issue is so important to you. We mentioned that you're from the region, but what's the, what's the driving force of how you came to be advocating for the peoples of this region, and in particular, Kashmir? So yeah, um, I come from uh, the state of Jammu and Kashmir, and uh, before partition, there used to be a district in uh, Jammu and Kashmir called Ladakh. That's where I, I, I come from. So in 1947, when partition happened, half of Ladakh uh, came in Pakistan's occupation. So uh, there's a valley in that part called Shigar, where I was born, and the second tallest mountain in the world, uh, K2 is located in Shigar. So that's how most of the people in the West know about Shigar through um, uh, Mount Godwin, uh, Austin. Um, And uh, I have worked on cultural issues for a long time. I think I got introduced to our connection with the Tibetan world when I was studying in, in a Pakistani city called Lahore. And I was very fortunate that I was able to go and uh, access uh, this uh, database and some books and other information about our linguistic relationship with Tibet. And I was one of the probably the first three or four people from Gilgit Baltistan uh, who was able to uh, learn uh, to write Tibetan script, which is our indigenous script. Uh, so that part of uh, Jammu and Kashmir up north, you know, it is an extension of the Tibetan plateau. We are on the extreme western side, and my district would be the last district where Tibetan language is spoken. So I think we we bring a lot of, uh, you know, this uh, uh, richness to to the culture of uh, Jammu and Kashmir with a lot of diversity in language and culture and religion. And uh, then I learned about, you know, how uh, Tibetans are, um, you know, very active in the United States, and there are a lot of help they're getting. um, And when I came here, you know, I got involved again and um, uh, I started a nonprofit organization talking about these uh, issues. And you know, you, John, you know a lot about a lot of the work that uh, you know you have supported me uh, on on those issues, and uh, we have done a lot of work together. Um, so I, um, I the mean, Kampa, the Kampa yeah. people are a client of mine. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah. Uh, I, I, when they came uh, to all, DC. Yeah, we're uh, all related. And, and I know John comes from Afghanistan, his ancestry, and, and two of our districts in Gilgit-Baltistan border the Badakhshan province of Afghanistan. So we are immediate neighbors. So there's an overlap of culture, the Tajik Afghan culture in the north of Gilgit-Baltistan and the east of Afghanistan and Tajikistan. You know, the, we, we share a lot of uh, these interesting um, historical richness. Uh, and uh, um, I started uh, my education in Pakistan. I was an engineer. Uh, then I went to England. Uh, I did master's in development studies. Um, uh, was trying getting inclined towards you know learning more about uh, uh, local anthropology, cultures, economic uh, and uh, socio-cultural issues, and that's how I uh, started learning about our relationship with Jammu and Kashmir, with Tibet, and other issues. I've um, done a lot of cultural work in Gilgit-Baltistan. Actually, I started this uh, nonprofit where we were getting help from uh, uh, Tibetan um, uh, organization from Australia. They were giving us money to put up signboards um, and uh, on on in Tibetan script in local script on on different shops. It, it was a small project, but it had huge significance because um, the tourists uh, who come to Gilgit Baltistan, Gilgit Baltistan is a very touristy place. Um, you know, the world's highest mountains. Uh, out of I think the first 50 mountains, I think um, more than 30 of them they are in Gilgit Baltistan. We have the longest glaciers outside the polar region that are in Gilgit-Baltistan. Hundreds pink, of lakes. pink salt. And pink salt, the Himalayan salt, yeah. Right. yeah. And, and there's the, 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 the jewels, tourmaline, and all those semi-precious jewels. Yeah. yeah, are all over. The They're rubies the and turquoises, yeah. So it's it's a land of precious stones. And, yeah. and, and uh, so um, a lot of people who come there, you know, they, they would see this as an extension of some Pashtun or Afghan land, you know, because there was not much... Uh, uh, that they could, uh, you know, they could relate us to Tibetans. So when they start seeing these signboards, and they could recall that they have seen the same thing in Nepal or in Tibet or in Ladakh, so they were able to make that that connection, our cultural connection, on their own, just by looking at those signboards. So we put a lot of signboards there, and you know, we started working with the school kids, you know, helping with their primary education in local scripts. So. Uh, you know, I've been able to stay in touch with those people who are still, still working on it. There are some private, you know, NGOs there. Uh, they have uh, local uh, schools. And um, so that's how I started, like, you know, working with cultural identity of our land. Not much as, po you know, much in, in politics, but mostly like how are we related to the Indians, to the Tibetans, to the Central Asians? How did we end up in Pakistan? You know, th then, then came Kashmir. And uh, the whole conflict of Kashmir and, you know, the religion and division of India based on religion and all that. So I think uh, that's how I started as a cultural activist uh, and worked in that sector for a long time. I was on the board. Um, I was a uh, yeah, member of uh, the board of directors of Baltistan Cultural Foundation. So Baltistan Cultural Foundation was getting a lot of money from Aga Khan Foundation. And, you know, Aga Khan Foundation, they have an office in Washington, D.C., they have offices in in several countries in Europe, and you know it's a it's a it's a huge institution. Yeah, network is network, yeah. All They're, the hospitals, all the education institutions of Pakistan yeah. and developing countries, 110 countries is the Aga Khan. Yeah, network. exactly. The They've done a lot of work in Chicago with with microfinancing and other. Yeah. So I think they they have a huge name, you know. They they got a lot of money from USAID. 
from uh, DFID uh, Britain, from uh, ODA, from NORAD in Norway, uh, Netherlands, like, you know, literally every country has tried to put, because they, are, they, they, they carry a lot of credibility, right? So they uh, gave us a lot of money on working on cultural, um, you know, uh, projects, and one of them was working on languages. So uh, we we tried to do that for a long time. And when I came here, I got more, you know, involved on the on the political spectrum, on the side of like, you know, how we're related to Kashmir, you know, and and all these dynamics of how the Kashmir issue has uh, remained stagnant, and and you know, it has affected our local identities. Uh, in our cultures and economies, obviously, um, and how you know uh, it has impacted um, in uh, overall region. Because uh, a lot of people that you talk to, they will tell you that Kashmir is one of the flashpoints after Palestine, right? So uh, it's they, a disputed they, territory. It, it right? is. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's and just to be clear, so Jumun Kashmir is it was two names. We know Kashmir, the Jumun part, yeah. is the was the northern areas, right? Yeah, so when Jammu Kashmir was a state, when the British were ruling India, they had two states within the, that that one, uh, you know, princely state, just like we have, you know, let's say... It was a Hindu two, a Hindu kingdom, wasn't let's it? Say we have two, two neighboring states of, let's say, Maryland and Pennsylvania. So yeah. they had two states. One was Jammu, one was Kashmir. Okay. These two were coupled together. So my district, Ladakh, was part of the Jammu province. Okay. Right? right, and Kashmir province controlled Gilgit. Okay. And after partition, then in 1970s, there was a Pakistani Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto. He rearranged the administration a little bit, and he put Gilgit and Baltistan together in one unit. So th- that's how it is called Gilgit Baltistan now. But previously, Baltistan was a small county within the Ladakh district. Uh-huh. Okay. And it didn't have its own name or its own identity the way it is today after partition. And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we had this uh, uh, Dogra. Uh, Dogra means it, it's an it's a ethnic tribe. Uh, who, they, these uh, people that live in the south of Jammu and Kashmir. And he was um, a military officer within the larger Punjab state. You know, one of the greatest kings of India, Ranjit Singh, I don't know if you've heard about him, you know, he, he's, he's a big name, you know. He, he's, let's say, uh, he's the only person known in Indian history who were able to defeat the Afghans. So he, he is a big name. Well, the, um, you're talking about the, the, the Sikh Empire. That, the that, Sikh that, Empire, that, yes. That went all the way to China. Uh, yes. And then I think it was the Tibetans and the Chinese that conspired and came out of the mountains to defeat him. And when, Mongols, when he was yeah. on, on Hajj yeah. or something. He was on a pilgrimage. I don't know. This is, this is yeah. what I remember from history. So we were part of the Sikh Empire. Yeah. And then what happened is that, you know, he that was, was post-Muslim. He, that was the post-Mughal uh, period, right? No, no, it's recent, like during the British. So, uh-huh. the, so the British came and they defeated Ranjit Singh, right, his, that's his, his empire, and he, he was declining. So as part of an arrangement with Jammu and Kashmir, because at that time, the Russians were, you know, threatening. Yeah. So British wanted a buffer. Yeah, the great between, game. Uh, yeah, be- between their own empire and the Russians. So they talked to the Dogras, who, who, was, a, who was an aspiring, you know, very um, uh, well-known uh, general at that time, Gulab Singh. And Gulab Singh created this um, um, state, as a buffer by giving some money to 
the British. By that time, the British has taken over Punjab. There was no more. There was no Sikh kingdom anymore. They had taken over Punjab. They had taken over Calcutta, Bengal. They have taken a lot of Indian land by then. So they allowed him to have a buffer and you know work with him. Um, sovereignty obviously was with the British. But he was able to have an internal control principality or you know yeah so that's how he was able to create yeah he was able to create jammu and kashmir state a okay. princely state within the british kingdom uh, empire at that time yeah so it, it was it was a it was a, uh, a state controlled by the dogras and in 194 between 19 1842 and 1846 they were able to take over most of gilgit baltistan and ladakh and some parts of tibet and they were able to extend it all the way to Xinjiang and in and, and the border of Tajikistan. So that's how this uh, state was created. So we're, you know, the, the, the crossing face, you know, our, our podcast is faith in politics. So maybe we can get a little bit into yeah. the, 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 uh, the multi-faith matrix of, of the region. Because what, what I understand and, and from the, the history that I know is that there was a lot of cooperation all the way up to relatively recent, recent period of time. Um, even though there was incursions by different invasions because the crossroads of empires applies to this region. Yeah. Uh, there was a, um, a, a tremendous amount of, I mean, I, I, I was just talking to uh, one, of, one of the Sufi leaders, Baba Mundi, who was chatting about how the Sufis brought Islamic multi-faith cooperation to the region. Uh, and, uh, and was, and I know that there's a, what's the, what's the cuisine? There's a, there's a cuisine, there's a dish that all the faith that groups agree is uh, is edible, whether you're halal or this one or that one or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, it, the staple diet, the local uh, roasted barley uh, that, that probably everyone eats, and and the and the Tibetan tea, probably you know the the pink tea, yeah, with oh, the pink salt, that was Kashmiri that chai, you yeah. know, which I yeah. it, you need to have someone making it all day. You know, yeah. <laughs> like an old lady needs to be Matthew, churning it. We we put we put salt in our tea, butter and salt. I don't know if you know about that. Yeah, no, I don't. So when when Amber, my wife, she went to you know she she tried it when we were there, and she like, I'm not gonna drink this soup anymore. You know, this is not tea. This is soup. So it's like it's like it's it like you can cut really it. Thick, you yeah. can cut it. Uh, I, I love Kashmiri chai. If anytime if someone says Kashmiri chai, you're you're there. We'll put the link. It's pink pink tea. Yeah. Uh, and the leaves, you have to have a lady. I don't want to say a lady, but uh, you have to have a nanny for hours. Yeah, just sit there. A, a yeah. grandma just yeah. will just keep, and yet because otherwise it, it curdles, so she has to keep mixing it and mixing yeah. it. I remember Nani Not doing that turning. all day yeah. long. Yeah. Um, so, so I think I think you know I think it's Kashmir is a very interesting topic for your um, you know platform because despite the fact that you know I come from a Muslim background. Uh, my uh, my historical connections with Tibet and you know the the Sufis and and uh, and the Rishis of Kashmir, you know, it allow us to have respect and acceptance of pre-Islamic traditions, right? So we we have respect for all of them. Like you know, we have so many rituals that are non-Islamic. We have belief in the local deity. And and uh, and and uh, you know all these uh, different um, characteristics of like you know uh, shaman and bone uh, traditions that you know that exist today. Uh, we will sing to the lo local gods, for instance, when it is time for harvest or when it is time to take the yaks to the pastures. 
or when it's time to like you know uh, re um, uh, uh, repair our irrigation system to bring water from the glaciers to the fields and stuff after sowing you know so I think this coexistence of like you know the different fates in in Kashmir is I think it's it's a glaring example of how like you know communities co could could live together have respect for you know all different religions like you said you know Islam's Jesus right Jesus is a common um, you know icon for Muslims and Christians and other faiths you know so I think we we also have like you know this commonality in Kashmir and I think it's it's very interesting well, is it is it you know there's a fable about uh, well Yaz Yusuf yeah. that Jesus yeah. is in the Kashmir yes. there's yes. two Hebrew graves there yes and yes. one's from Mary, from Maryam, and the other one is Yaz Yusuf, the yeah, son and, of Joseph. And, and Ahmadi Muslims, one of the sects in Islam, yeah, you, you know that, you know, we, we have shared seed with them at the round table, a lot of Ahmadis, because they're persecuted in Pakistan. Uh, they go to Kashmir, and they go to those tombs. Yeah. And they think, you know, Jesus was buried there, and, you know, they, they pray to those tombs, and, and they still exist, and there's a lot of uh, reverence around it. Interesting. Yeah? Yeah. Well, and we, uh, on a previous episode of Crossing Phase, I'll link in the show notes, we had a, a friend named John Prabudas who talked about the, a lot of the Christian history uh, in the country of, and region of India. Um, so you can get some further background on, on how early Christianity... Um, yeah, uh, Thomas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Tom, yeah, legend, it? Ha legend has it, uh, Thomas... Uh, yeah, brought, brought I will probably need John's help there a little bit about Christianity. But, you know, I know that the Moravians, Mor Moravians, is that the name? Mor Moravians. Yeah, Moravians. Is it the German, um, you know, yeah. uh, uh, subgroup that, that, you know, they arrived in in, uh, in Ladakh, for instance, where I come from. And, you know, they were uh, able to, like, establish their, you know, uh, set up in, in Leh, which was our capital at that time. Um, and... Uh, there, there are like two hundred or three hundred Christians that still live there, mm -hmm. and you know, as I was, we, we were talking about this, you know, like uh, coexistence, right? So they have Tibetan names, and they're all Christians, just like you know, I'm a Muslim and I have a Tibetan name. So I think you know, when when you, when you come to Ladakh and these, you know, like a lot of people think that we really do not have to carry Arabic names to identify ourselves, or Roman names to to identify ourselves as Christians. So, you know, they have they have Tibetan names. And there are a lot of uh, Christians who live there, and you know they they contribute you know very positively to that to the local culture and society. So. I get slammed all the time. It's, I just I got to slammed uh, two weeks ago by a guy who goes, uh, "Your name is John. Are you?" He goes, "Are you really Muslim?" And I go, well, "You can you can call me Yahya if that makes you feel any yeah. better, but you can you need call yourself John or you can call yourself you know Joe yeah. or whatever you want and still yeah. be Muslim." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, it's just funny how people... It's, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I wear this Tibetan dress, and the first thing, the question they ask is, are you a Buddhist? As if, like, you know, uh, you know, so I think I, I totally understand where you're coming from, uh, from our, you know, the way we dress or the way we carry our names, and, you know, uh, people try to, like, you know, box us up, right? right. And, and compartmentalize us. But uh, the fact remains uh, that, you know, I think the, these are conversion points when it comes to Badakhshan, where you yeah. come from, when we come to like in you know, a southern Xinjiang, like Kashgar and Yarkand and Khotan, these were on the Silk Route, right? Yeah. Gilgit and Ladakh was on the Silk Route. Ladakh was one of the most important staging posts on Silk Route. And people from Europe and China and Mongolia and, you know, Arabia, 
they all came together. They used to travel, you know, from east and west in, in that direction. And I think, you know, a lot of uh, uh, beautiful blends were created during those times. So I'm, glad, I'm glad, Senge, that you brought up your, your shirt collar because I was going to ask about that. Uh, yeah. Um, particularly in the context of us discussing the diversity of the region you come from. Uh, John and I threw on collared shirts, I think, just because we happen to be on video today and uh, want to be present somewhat presentable. Um, well, I don't have but, my, but I, you know, shirt. I love my cultural clothes, but I, I you know, I, I would wear them all the time, but I, I don't have a lot here in the apartment. I have to go my mom today, John house. is a New Yorker, so he's yeah, just yeah. wearing New York. So. Yeah, so I'm doing that. But here, but think right, about you got, this. You, from a, you got the head covering on. Yeah, well, that, that, I got that, the dopey. Gun, yeah. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. Imagine this from a multi-faith perspective. We've got uh, a, a, a Southern Baptist in Tennessee, you know, from, ten, from, from, you're from Virginia, from West Virginia, right? West Virginia. Get it straight, man. From West Virginia. So, and uh, we have uh, a Tibetan Muslim from, uh, from really Kashmir, but, you know, from Gilgit, Baltistan, uh, you know, sitting there. And then we have an, an, a Greek. An American Greek. Yeah. I was born in America, but I'm an yeah. Indo-Greek. Indo I'm, I'm from the age of Hellenism. With, in, with a bit, bit of uh, Egypt and, and Sicily, right? Well, I'll, bo I'll both say, my mother is a yeah. Greek from North Africa. Yeah. So it's it's all Greek, but she's, but she's a Ptolemaic Greek. And so we both converged through Italy and then came here to America. Yeah. So yeah. so it's it's from a faith background and a cultural background. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and and so um, but so Matt, Matt was asking about the shirt. You know, Matt, um, we are one of the Tibetan groups. We used to be part of the Tibetan larger kingdom. There used to be okay. uh, several kingdoms, but the two famous one were the Yarlung Kingdom, which supported the Dalai Lamas, and then we had the Shanshung Kingdom, and eventually there was a fight, and then you know we we got separated, and then the Dogras in, uh, you know took control of uh, Gilgit, Baltistan, and Ladakh, and and Western Tibet, and then we did not have any administrative link with Tibet, but you know culturally we are Tibetan, and as John would uh, tell you, uh, there are more than two hundred Tibetan dialects in the world today. And Balti is one of the most ancient, the archaic dialect that sur has survived. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's it's like, you know, old English from the 17th or, you know, 16th or 18th century. And, and you know, we, we are really proud of that identity. And uh, there, there are so many times that, you know, uh, within the last 60, 70 years that there have been attacks on our identity. And we right. have been like you know, labeled as non-Muslim. We have been wooed to like, you know, move further towards Middle East. And away from our identity but i tell you even though we do not have any physical link with the tibetans but we have you know stood firm and we have told pakistani government that this is our identity and we're not going to abandon that so nowadays i don't know if john knows about that we have a local swastika sign which is called yundrung tibetan yundrung it is a um uh, you will find them in all the mosques, Muslim mosques, uh, Tibetan swastika sign. And you will find them on like old palaces and, you know, different buildings. And right now, I mean, the, in the last two, three months, what is going on is that Pakistan has established um, a non-affiliated university in Baltistan. And uh, the vice chancellor, he's from uh, from Pakistan, and he's trying to tell local people that 
this Tibetan yundrung that you have, which comes all the way from the Bon culture, like thousands of years before, um, and it is very different from the German cross that you know a lot of a lot of Americans probably would mis misunderstood uh, you know uh, like uh, probably misjudge us and you know like um, uh, not not see that in in it in, in that context. Right. Um, he was trying to tell us that you know this is actually uh, a Christian cross. There, there is no existence of Tibetan you know um, yundrung here, and and then the youth people who. Kids who were born in the 80s and 90s, they stood up, who have no recollection, like, you know, the, of, like, what was Tibet and how we were connected with Tibet. And they told this guy, the vice chancellor, that, no, this is our identity. You cannot try to, like, you know, uh, rewrite something for us. Uh, this is not, not uh, a Christian cross, and this is a Tibetan yundrung. We are connected with that culture, and, you know, we are really proud of that. So I think even even as as we you know keep coming back to the same you know this this topic is that how the cultures have crossed and how the faiths have crossed and we have been able to carry all of them simultaneously and you'll be proud of that I think that is something really beautiful that in many parts of Middle East you know it it doesn't exist you know there's a very this this tunnel vision in in some parts of Arab countries where you know uh, they have tried to abandon their uh, pre-Islamic heritage and try to hide it and, you know, try to like, you know, disconnect from that. So I think this is something that what people from Patakshan, like, you know, John himself or myself, you know, we've been able to like, you know, proudly uh, support. And we're, we're, we're out there uh, at sometimes because I, I know that we end up going, being uh, called out by our respective communities. But the fact is, is yeah. that, you know, we're, the cultural richness, and a lot of people say this, even Muslim, a lot of Muslims that are that I've talked to when I'm overseas, you know, I spent 20 years, you know, doing the development work, they'll say, oh, well, in Iraq, we, we, we didn't care what faith you were. We would sit, I just came back from Erbil, and there's still a lot of multi-faith cooperation in Erbil. I, I can't, I was shocked. I've always spent time in southern Iraq, and uh, largely with the Shia community, so, so it's been... yeah. Kurdistan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but up north in, in Erbil, which is one of the oldest inhabited places on the planet. Yes. The, the Zoroastrians, the, 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 the Yazidis, the, the Christians, on all the different Muslims, the pantheon of Muslim groups yes. there, are all still cooperating and talking and interacting. They, it's the only governmental agency, so the Kurdish uh, uh, Ministry of, uh, of Religion, it's the only ministry on the planet that each religion has their own office in the ministry uh and they 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 always say well you know we never when it was a jewish holiday we would celebrate the jewish holidays when it was christian we'd celebrate the no one really did anything there was not a lot of separation and then they say well the, and then extremism came into the region and we had to yeah. deal with that and i think this is part of i, I if i were going to talk about Kashmir, and i'm going to i'll get to put it in a nutshell we have two countries formed that are post british rule Mm -hmm. So Pakistan was formed, and with the expulsion of the Muslims, large groups of Muslims from India uh, into Pakistan during the partition. And then you have this... Well, ma majority of the Muslims stayed back. The minority, they, they moved uh, to the new Pakistan. So even after that exchange of Hindus were expelled from modern-day Pakistan and right. Muslims were able to, you know, to resettle in Karachi and other places... 
uh, that population was, uh, was a, a minuscule portion of the total Muslim population. So the majority of the Muslims decided to stay back. There's still 200 million uh, Muslims in 200 India, million right? here yeah. and almost 160, 170 in Bangladesh. Right. And about 200 million in India, yeah. So, so I appreciate that correction. And, and so we, we have this, this, to form this, these two countries. One is the formation of new and the partition. And then this, this region that was given to India and then almost immediately at that time, the Pakistanis invaded, right, and and occupied the. Their so let me of, let me go a little bit into history. You know, so yeah. it was a British part of the British Empire, and the British came up with <clears throat> a constitutional arrangement to divide the country, because they thought that Muslim might not be able to, like you know, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, he wanted his own country, and um, so they came up with a constitutional arrangement. And in, within that constitutional arrangement, they divided the lands controlled from New Delhi, or I mean Delhi at that time, under the Viceroy of India, into three portions. The first portion was called British Allies. They were given independence a year or two before the rest of India was divided. So today you have all these Gulf states that were controlled from Delhi at that time. Qatar and, and, and you know, uh, Bahrain and Arab uh, Emirates and Oman and all these states. Then Myanmar was controlled from Delhi. It was given independence, right? Mm -hmm. Sri Lanka was separated. Uh, so um, Mauritius was separated, for instance. That is one layer of separation, division of India ha that happened. Then we come to the rest of the two parts. One was called the British India. And British India was treated just like uh, England, the Queen was treating Scotland or Ireland, for instance. Um, and then the third part was called the princely states. There were about 560, 65 princely states. They had local autonomy. They were, uh, you know, they had, uh, British had control over the foreign affairs and, and military and, 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 and internal autonomy was given to the locals. So, British came with, with this constitutional arrangement to divide, and it was promulgated on 18th of July, 1947, when Queen signed it. And according to that, if a ruler of any princely state by his or her own will decide to merge with India or Pakistan, and if Queen accepted that, that would be the final decision of that, right? Now, Jammu and Kashmir ruler, he was having second thoughts about merging with any country. Yeah, he, he was India, was India was telling, uh, you know, because at that time, I don't know if you know about the, another state called Hyderabad. Hyderabad was a much bigger state. It was in the middle of India with no land connection with Pakistan. It was one of the richest states of India. And it was 90% Hindu, but ruled by a Muslim king right and indian rulers were talking about let's you know hyderabad might not come with india so let's try to do a swap with kashmir and hyderabad this is what was going on in their mind at that time so the ruler of jammu and kashmir he was not very clear about which direction he was going to go and then on um uh, october the 22nd of 1947, Pakistan attacked Kashmir. 
and they start raping local women. They start, you know, taking local um, lands. Um, and they were very close to reaching the capital of Jammu and Kashmir called Shirnagar. So this ruler, he now he goes to Lord Mountbatten, who is representing, you know, Queen. And Lord Mountbatten sends him to Nehru, the Prime Minister of India. And Nehru, and he says, I need your military to help me because Pakistan has attacked me. And Nehru says, by constitutional arrangement, you have to align with one of us. You haven't made up your mind. Right. I'm okay if you want to go with Pakistan, you want to come with India, that's fine. But you have to have a legal relationship with us for in order to have our military support you. Now, according to the books, Pakistani military and the tribal Lashkar were only a few miles away from Shirnagar when this was happening. So this guy leaves and he takes another 24 hours to think about it. He comes back, he gives the letter of accession. And he said, okay, now there's a very clear sense of I'm going to get occupied. They're literally a few miles away and I, we can hear the, you know, the, the shelling and the art, art, artillery. So the letter of accession goes to Lord Mountbatten, goes to, you know, he represents the queen, it gets signed, and then India sends its troops. The war happens, and then the ceasefire happened because the United Nations get involved. Nehru goes to the United Nations, and Nehru says, you know, I have the letter of accession. Pakistan has attacked my land. The ruler wants me to help him, and Pakistan should withdraw. So this is how the ceasefire happened, and, you know, since then we haven't had, had a chance to solve it. And there's been uh, four Indo-Pakistani wars war, since then. Yeah, uh, three, three wars in Kashmir out of four. Right. Uh, since then, and you know, it's it's a huge impasse. So, uh, right. just thought you know, bring a little little history in here yeah. of how the things you know evolved and how we're stuck with you know with uh, not getting uh, it solved. So, uh, given that backstory, Sengay, um, kind of want to zoom out again for the sake of uh, yeah, American audience, Westerner, and, and yeah. American audience, yeah. right? So, we're uh, as a reminder, we're talking about uh, a region that's north of India or northern India, depending upon your politics. And uh, it's kind of northeast of Pakistan. It's not adjacent to Afghanistan, but it's east of Afghanistan. And then it's right along the western border of China, um, literally the other side of the world from us. Yes. Uh, what, um, what might prompt me as an American uh, to follow what's going on in Kashmir and, and Gilgit? So first of all, I, I would say that this is a dispute um, that's going on for the last 70 years between two nuclear powers, right? India and Pakistan, right. they became nuclear powers in the 70s and the 80s. But even before that, if you look at Gilgit Baltistan, I mean, John knows because he's from Badakhshan, the British and the Chinese and the Tibetans, all these empires fought over it. The Russians fought over it. You know, China... And Tibetans had two huge wars in Gilgit. And uh, both time, the Tibetans defeated the Chinese and, and pushed them back. So we, we used to be um, a battleground, you know, for, for the time immemorial. And, 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 and now it's, it's, it's coming back where we have two nuclear powers. And, and now you add China into it because in the last few months we have seen that China has become very active after reorganization, India did a constitutional amendment and they tried to give Ladakh its own identity because Ladakhis were not happy within Kashmir uh, context. You know, they 
they wanted their own identity, their own province. So now they have their own province. And, and that province has a Tibetan characteristic, mm. which is right on the border of Tibet. And that is really threatening, you know, China, because China is occupying Tibet. And there's a lot of religious, Buddhist religious freedom in Ladakh that the Tibetans do not enjoy in Tibet. So I think China is getting, you know, anxious about that. So now China has jumped into the situation. They have occupied some parts of Ladakh uh, close to Xinjiang. Um, like, for instance, they tried to encroach on Galvan Valley. You know, this is one of the famous valleys that um, came into, you know, on, in American media in the last uh, about two, three months after we had the pandemic, uh, you know, shut down. Uh, so China has jumped in, you know, India and China are emerging as the, uh, the new growing powers of Asia, the, the growing economies of Asia. China is threatening United States um, with, with, you know, uh, its multifaceted, you know, expansions, whether it's economic, whether it's, you know, uh, in context of um, uh, space uh, technology and, and expansion, whether it's uh, political, whether it's rearrangement of allies in Asia. Uh, and that threat that the United States see is, and, and also India see, they are, you know, uh, bringing India and the United States as well as Japan, Vietnam, and Australia closer. You know, there's a quad that uh, that has been formed. So the, the people of the United States, I think in the context of what has happened after China virus, Wuhan virus, and how, you know, China has been able to paralyze the whole world with, you know, uh, with this situation. And, and you know, the closure of uh, Chinese uh, consulate in Houston, for instance, our consulate in Changtu in Sichuan province. I think the Cold War, you know, it's the Cold War II, um, 2.0 is, is, you know, very much, you know, in place. And I think India plays a huge role in it. We, we need India as a partner. So I think that is what probably will, you know, have uh, American people look at the situation in, in that context, because Kashmir is definitely one of the, you know, sticking points, one of these uh, uh, bones of contention that China, Pakistan and India are all fighting over. And Pakistan and China have, you know, al aligned um, when it comes to, you know, situation in Kashmir. And they're also threatening uh, Afghanistan. You know, there are a lot of Taliban attacks that we see right now. They are trying to bring Iran on their side in CPAC. So I think this, in, in my opinion, this in the broader context has to do with how to control American influence in that region. Mm. Not just attack India, not just, you know, grab a piece of land from Kashmir, but how to, you know, counter United States and Iran and China both are very much you know, interested in that, and Kashmir is right in the middle of it. So I think that is something that American people would be interested in. And uh, um, we've oh, go ahead, John. We well, went into I, hardcore I, politics, John. Well, on a moral, we ground, moved away from you know religion, and we're back into well, you we're know. We're going to get back in religion in a second because <laughs> I'm going to be there. On a moral ground, I mean, we have a local population that's caught between two superpowers or two nuclear powers. Yes, and then you also have the China and Russia influence in Pakistan dealing with this, right? And yes. they're vying with both India and Pakistan back and forth. Yes. You have a local population that's diversely religious and religious freedom, international religious freedom is in, enshrined in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the NSS national security strategy. I was, I yes. was part of drafting that and part of our founding principles of our country and the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998. Yes. Just from a moral standing, we have a local population that's diverse, 
religiously, ethnically, culturally, that's, that's struggling for representation. There was supposed yeah. to be a vote some time ago. This is like maybe 50 years ago or whatever at, for, on, 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 their, on their, their uh, independence, right? And it, didn't, it never took place, right? That vote never took place. I, I, I'm, I vaguely remember a, a, a conversation of our, that in my history lessons. So you have this local population struggling. You have China encroachment in that region and it, it diminishes U.S. influence, but there's also, there's also something really sexy there, and that's rare minerals that's used in development of space yes. technology and, and, and high technology that is used in, in weapons, weapon development, yes. uh, and, and medical, medical innovation, right? So there's that whole business yes. there, yeah. and Afghanistan and, and both Kashmir yes. both have those minerals, and it's the, most ri- the richest place in the world for those minerals. We have um, our trucks, you know, trucks full of gray, dark gray, um, sand-like, you know, uh, minerals going to Xinjiang every day from Gilgit. And when the local people ask the Chinese, like, why are you, like, you know, uh, they ask, like, what is this? And they're like, this is just sand, you know, nothing important, just sand. It's like, but there's stuff why aren't you transporting sand from Gilgit to, like, 800 miles away. Like, are you short of sand? You know, there's a huge Gobi Desert in China. You can get sand from there. So you're right. You know, all the heavy metals that Gilgit-Baltistan has, and now, you know, they have a rail link to Afghanistan. I don't know if you know or not, but China through Xinjiang and Kazakhstan have brought rail line all the way to the Persian port of Bandar Abbas. And they have rail service from Iran and Afghanistan's border through Turkmenistan and, you know, Kazakhstan into Xinjiang. And they are taking all the rare metals that back to back to China. And I think that is one thing, you know, the China is looking for, you know, competing with the U.S. in uh, space technology. So, yeah, I mean, so that's a big deal, you know, and then we have this other element, which is the Tibetan struggle and tied to the Tibetan struggle, which we're obviously the Dalai Lama and the the government in exile uh, in, in that I played that in Tibet has been occupied since 1949. Yeah. Um, but it's also touches on the Uyghur issue yeah. because the Uyghurs yeah. are neighbors in that region, which the, uh, uh, Secretary Pompeo has been very vocal about. Yes. We have now a USERF commissioner that is Uyghur. Uh, My full respect to our, you know, Secretary Pompeo. I think he's one of the best so far. Um, I don't know if you read this uh, resolution that they passed in the United Nations, all most of the Muslim countries were on it, including Pakistan. And it was very sad, you know, we brought, we talked about morality, right? Iran and Pakistan signed it, saying that China is not oppressing viewers. They're very happy there. I can send a copy of that to you. Well, and China's, you know, a great friend of ours and, you know, the imperialist USA, you know, he has his own, it has its own agenda. And China is a friend of Muslims. So it is, you know, when it comes to policy, countries like Pakistan, Iran, you know, they're totally uh, trying to hide this fact that it's a huge genocide and, and you know, uh, prosec- uh, persecution uh, going on in, 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 in Xinjiang. Mm. Sorry, I cut you there, but, you know, I think... No, no, we, it's okay. No, no, can, no. Can, Matthew, I know you wanted to say yeah. something. I, I know I wanted to make sure that no, that's we're good. talking I, a little bit. No, I knew. I, knowing that um, Xinjiang is not far away from that, um, from the Gilded Baltistan region, I, I wanted that exact uh, commentary from Senge on on the Uyghur situation. Uh, knowing yeah. it's a it's a regional thing. I mean, it's it's a lot of land over there, but yes. um, you guys are as as close yeah, as anybody. In, 
In the 1949, when Mao, he started his communist revolution, he occupied a lot of valleys that belong to Gilgit-Baltistan, mm. like uh, important, um, you know, uh, staging posts, trade posts like Daftar, for instance, belong to Gilgit, uh, the Raja of Hunza. Now it's in Xinjiang. Mintaka Valley, for instance, uh, Bayak, Bayak uh, Pass, that connected us directly with Tajikistan is now in uh, Xinjiang and uh, occupied by China. And then 1963, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto under General Ayub Khan, who was the um, uh, you know, uh, field marshal at that time and the president of the country, he signed land agreements with, uh, uh, with uh, China, gave away Shaskam and Raskam and Shimshal and some other valleys that belong to Tardumbash, for instance, belong to Gilgit-Baltistan. They all become part of Yarkan and Kashkan, uh, Kashgar uh, pre prefectures right now. Uh, we share ethnicity with them. You know, a lot of Tajiks who live in Tashkurgan in Xinjiang, for instance, you know, they have relatives in Hunza and in the Khizr district of Gilgit-Baltistan. And they also have relatives in Badakhshan, you know, Afghanistan's Badakhshan. Two districts of Gilgit share immediate border with Afghanistan. So um, all these people, persecuted people, when, when Mao attacked, a lot of these uh, Uyghurs and the Tajiks, they fled and they came and took refuge in Gilgit. And, uh, you know, we are really concerned about the way China is treating identity of Uyghurs. Because the, the reason why we are concerned is because China is doing a lot of economic development in Gilgit-Baltistan. They're spending about 40 to $50 billion there, building huge dams like uh, the uh, Amr Dam, Bonji Dam, and you know, Skardu Dam, a bunch of other dams. And we believe that they will eventually occupy Gilgit, annex it to Xinjiang, and make us um, you know, uh, a guinea pig, an experiment uh, the way they're experimenting their own economic and social models on, on, on the people of, uh, you know, Xinjiang, on the Kazakh and the Uyghurs and the Tajiks there. They will do the same with us and they will try to uh, oppress our religious and cultural identity, our connection with, you know, um, Tibet, for instance, as John mentioned. One and this China is, concept, right? You know, yeah, one China concept, assimilation, right? Yes. There's, there's one, one identity one nationalism, one patriotism, anything else is treason. Yeah. So this is something that we are really concerned about because what Pakistan has done is given the entire telecom industry of Gilgit in the hands of the Chinese. Goodness gracious. From an intelligence standpoint, that's a huge, huge problem for yes. the United States. Yes. You know, we, we're talking about all the all the, con the, the the telecommunications exchanges, every bit of information, every bit of of communication, every bit of data goes through the Chinese intelligence service, exactly. which as a crossroads of the world, that yeah. affects us. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of my Baloch friend, Balochistan is a province, you know, it's in Pakistani occupation on the Persian Arabian Gulf in the Indian Ocean. Um, they will tell you that when Pakistanis torture and, you know, interrogate the Baloch activist who they uh, capture, many of them present in the room are the Chinese. So Chinese are helping Pakistan learn all the ropes, you know, how to uh, interrogate the way they do, you know, with Tibetans and the viewers, or maybe the, you know, Mongolians and the Manchus and the people in, in Zhuang area. So I think this is really concerned that Pakistan has given up its sovereignty and allowed China to literally take over 
And China, without firing a bullet, has been able to reach the, the warm waters of Indian Ocean. Yeah, quite our know. port, right? Exactly. And India has, has a port there, has a naval port there in, in Ormara. Now they're building another port in Basni and in Sonmiani and, you know, another port in Karachi. They're like expanding very fast. And now they're trying to like, you know, rope in Iran into it uh, and trying to throw, you know, uh, India and United States out of, of that, that equation. So I think uh, this is a, a concern that, you know, not only United States, uh, you know, uh, Secretary Pompeo's talk about all the time, but local people, they, they see that as an attack on their resources, on their identities. You know, Balochistan is rich in gold and uranium. Gilgit is rich in gold and uranium. We have huge copper, you know, uh, deposits. And I think it is Chinese in the end that will be able to like, you know, with the help of Pakistanis and Iranians, will be able to like, you know, form this nexus. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, minorities like Baloch or, or Hazaras or, you know, smaller groups within Afghan, you know, uh, ethnic composition and, and Sindhis, they will be affected adversely in that equation. So, Singay, as we uh, near wrapping this up, what are one or two policy recommendations you'd like to see the U.S. or the broader uh, Western allies implement? I think, you know, if you remember uh, Chernobyl, right, um, that kind of like um, turned the whole thing against the Soviets. It was it was like a milestone where, you know, um, well, and I, I could bring a little, a little bit of comparison with that, you know, with this uh, Wuhan virus. You know, Wuhan virus has exposed China in so many ways, and uh, it has, uh, you know, exposed the vulnerabilities that it is trying to sp- spread across. You know, you know, using and abusing countries, um, uh, and you know, attacking their democracies. Like, you know, I want to give an example of Nepal, for instance, right? Now, Nepal is a, a dictatorship, it's a communist regime, but a few decades back, it was trying to be a democracy. So what China does, they, you know, whatever they can do to first, they, they partner with other countries to exploit the resources, and then eventually they attack their, you know, uh, uh, civilian institutions, their democratic institutions, and convert them into communist, you know, dictatorships. What, what I think the West need to do at this point, I believe, you know, and, and I think this idea came because yesterday I was reading this thing uh, about Australia and China's threatening Australia with huge economic uh, disadvantages if uh, Australia tries to go against China's strategic interests in the area. So I think countries like France and the United States and Canada and, you know, other countries from G7, India, they, they need to, Japan, you know, we need to come together and have some kind of this um, cushion, you know, there's some kind of like, you know, um, uh, a safety net that these smaller countries could fall back on in right. case they decide to abandon China. And, you know, we would, should be able to fill that vacuum economic, you know, we should not wait till an economic collapse happens in those countries. Otherwise, they will be, they will remain hostage to China. It's happening all throughout Africa, you know. Exactly. And you you know, these high interest loans. Exactly. To build the infrastructure for the Chinese to take the minerals back to China. Yeah. There's all these strange high interest loans that they're doing. And so they're indentured, essentially, 
to uh, to China, even if they even if they decide to move in a different direction because of yeah. these loans, right? So you know, we we should uh, work, you know, uh, and be be try to be on same page when it comes to how to uh, mitigate uh, problems that will arise after many countries have realized that you know Chinese economic model political model is not a good model. Right. It does not contribute to the well-being of local people. It, 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 you know, it thrives on, it feeds on the miseries of the local people, right? So yeah. I think, uh, you know, partnering with India and Vietnam and other countries like, you know, France and England and trying to come up with this model where we could, uh, you know, provide some kind of safety net to the countries that want to challenge China I think that is something that needs to be done. United, that the understanding of the issue of Gilgit and Kashmir in the United States come from the time of the Cold War, when India tried to, uh, you know, stay non-aligned, or sometimes, you know, it had soft corner for the Soviets. So I think we need to re, um, like, you know, unlearn and relearn about Kashmir and India. That's what I think. You know, there's a lot of. Uh, you know, when I talk to John and other people in the United States, you know, when we talk about issues, there, there's, there's a lot of, you know, de-learning, unlearning and relearning that need to be done uh, in the greater interest of the local people as well as, you know, the partnerships that we are trying to seek uh, in, 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 uh, the, in Asia and, you know, in the, in the greatest, uh, in the Eastern Hemisphere. And I think it's in, in the interest of the United States to have a little bit, you know, deeper understanding of... Uh, of the constitutional relationship right. that Kashmir has with India. Because if you look at me, you know, I come from a region which has been in Pakistani occupation for 70 years, and we never had a constitutional setup to govern our land. We are still a colony, you know, right. like a, like a person, one person rule from Islamabad. Yeah, it's and like, it's like person, a viceroy. It's a he, viceroy. He can make any decisions he wants, right? Who is not elected by local people, right. who yeah. comes from a Pashtun or a Punjabi ethnicity, he lives in Pakistan. He never, you know, comes to Gilgit Baltistan, but he has absolute uh, control over Gilgit Baltistan's economic, religious decisions, and all that. You know, for instance, um, like you know, all these. Um, uh, the one of the local politicians said. Now he that p person is called the minister for mining, and he said every single lease that Pakistan has signed with other countries in Gilgit have been signed in Islamabad without my information, right? Now that person has said that on record. There's another person who is called the Deputy Speaker of Gilgit Assembly. This assembly does not have legislative powers. This is just like, you know, a whitewash to show the international community that we have some powers. That person says every valuable mountain and mountain peak that Gilgit has has been leased out. Right. So I think we need to understand that when it comes to constitutional relationship with Pakistan and India, you know, we have a legal connection with India and our, our relationship with Central Asia, Xinjiang, Tibet, these need to come in, in the forward, you know, in the front to for the Americans to understand the importance of Gilgit Baltistan. So I think we need to move away from, you know, what happened during the Cold War, how India aligned itself and how United States aligned itself with Pakistan. I mean, you were talking about Musharraf, you know. Um, yeah. Musharraf was not against terrorism. I think this is a big myth that the Americans, you know, probably still believe. He wanted to rearrange the concept of terrorism and try to sell it to the Americans. And he said, look, 
we will not attack Afghans, but we will continue to attack Kashmir. Mm. And we will try to shift all those terrorists in Afghanistan towards the Indian border. This is a conversation I have on the Hill where, where I, I've, I've, yeah. I've member, I've, you know, members in the House and the Senate saying, yeah. well, Musharraf was, you know, pro-America and he was yeah. against terrorism. And I and I'm sitting there going, well, I know we attacked a red mosque. I, I know that. But 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 I'm pretty sure he was exporting some terrorism along along, along yeah. his, his the, the northern territories. Yeah. And then we were still we were still fiddling around with with Afghanistan, but Afghanistan yeah. was was Taliban controlled, and yes. and so Pakistan didn't have to worry about anything. And now it's going to you know go, fall back into their lap if we uh, if we refuse to see our relationship with you know countries like India and, and you know uh, from from you know uh, this contemporary you know. Uh, Portfolio, which is you know India is developing as as a as an ally of of the United States, and and China, you know during the time of Kissinger, we looked at China from from different angle, but now we look at China from different angle, right? So I think all the countries they are changing their roles and they are changing their camps, and I think it will be beneficial for the people of the United States to relearn things about Kashmir, which could also help the United States itself. That's a great, uh, great yeah. uh, coverage of the landscape, Sengay. We appreciate those insights Thanks, and uh, really underscores the fact that, you know, I, I think John would probably agree um, that uh, when the U.S. and Western powers withdraw, uh, particularly in this era of uh, rekindled nationalism, that those vacuums will be filled. Those vacuums of yes. uh, uh, relationships and diplomatic relationships and ties between nations. And in this region in particular, that vacuum is going to be filled by China and is Very being true. filled by China as the West withdraws. And, and that's going to be a problem for a long time to come. Uh, Senge and John, thanks for your time today. Um, Thank you so much wishes. for having me. As we can be of assistance at Crossing Phase, please let us know. Senge, thank you for your time and your expertise. Thank and, you. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate your visit on Crossing Thank Phase. You, man. Thank you, John. Thank you. This has been uh, Crossing Phase with John Pinna and Matt Hawkins, a podcast of Roll Top Productions and Muslims for Muslims. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, and now, as of today, with Senge, we're on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate your review of our program, especially in the Apple Store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter at MTHawk, at JT Pinna, and at Crossing Phase. Show notes, show notes and more are available at crossingphase.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a great uh, afternoon. Stay safe. Likewise. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Pinna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting CrossingPhase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at MTHawk, at JTPinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfaith.com.